Hello and welcome to another episode of Bravo Outsider. I'm super excited to welcome back our guest host, Sandy Cloak once again. Sandy, how's it going? Going well. Excited to be here yet again and chat housewives. Yeah. Uh, we've got a really fun show this week. Uh, each week we bring on an outsider who doesn't follow the show to get their takes on the episode. This week I am super stoked to welcome my friend Billy Chung. She's busted, but she gets it done. <laughs> wow. That that has to be one that you wrote yourself, right? That's not a... Uh... Um, yeah, is that not what everyone does? Do people no, yeah, kind of people survey <laughs> taglines? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, some people will like draw a tagline from like one of the the housewives, like whatever they use, right, and then yeah, other people will, will write their own. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's amazing. That is probably one of the best of the taglines I, that someone I has also written themselves. Was going to do an alternative of uh, I don't know how she does it. She doesn't. But I felt like that didn't roll off the tongue so well. So I was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> awesome. Well, we usually like to start off by asking our guests what their past experience with reality television is and uh, if they've watched any Bravo shows before. Uh, do you want to give everyone a little bit of a, a background? Yeah, totally. Um, I think growing up, I definitely watched the usual suspects of Survivor. Uh, Temptation Island, and not a lot. Like, my family wasn't extremely exposed to reality TV. We, um, our household had one of those satellite dishes. I'm not sure if you guys recall any of those. But it's one of those Bell satellite dishes because um, my family liked to watch a lot of Asian channels. So that was the only thing that you would kind of capture those channels on. And so that was, like, the majority of our entertainment growing up. And I would watch, you know, shows like Friends and such. But none of them were really reality TV show based. Then there was a huge lapse in my life where I just didn't watch any of it um, until, like, recently in my adulthood where I'm watching, like, RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, a bit of stuff on Netflix. I definitely didn't watch a lot of Bravo in general, like, growing up. So. It was actually really fun for me to even venture into the Real Housewives world, but even just Google and figure out the network and see how much they're producing. Uh, so that's yeah. my exposure to it. Yeah, the like Bravo had a bit of like a format shift where prior to getting into reality TV, they were doing shows like uh, Inside the Actors Studio with James Lipton, and it was very like focused <laughs> on more like high art and. Um, Right now, I would argue that it is, again, focused on high art because I consider Real Housewives to be high art. Um, but, you know, it made a, a huge change in, in format. And um, they put out both, like, Project Runway and yes. uh, Queer Eye were their two, like, huge hits that really changed their format in order to, like, get into reality TV. And, you know, they now have so many hits like Real Housewives, Vanderpump Rules, Below Deck, all these shows are, you know, really big and have a very like rabid following. Um, And they're, in my opinion, the best in the game at putting these together. Like if you compare something like Real Housewives or Vanderpump Rules versus something like The The Bachelor, I think there's really no comparison. And maybe that's not a fair like comparison just because The Bachelor is more of a structured competition show and Real Housewives is an unstructured reality show. But still, I think the storytelling within on Bravo is second to none. 
it's actually kind of sorry. This is kind of embarrassing. Now that you've mentioned Queer Eye and Project Runway, I definitely watched Bravo shows growing up. I didn't watch both of those, um, uh, uh, but I didn't realize they were Bravo, and that's how uh, that's how like, clueless I was. I was like, oh, I guess it's just TV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Project Runway was off of Bravo for a while, and it was right, on one yeah. of like the main networks, probably NBC, uh, and then it came back to uh, to to Bravo. Right. Um, but yeah, th that really like kicked off their shift towards reality TV. And there was like a long time where Inside the Actors Studio was running on Bravo while they were also doing Real Housewives. Uh -huh. And you could see if you look on YouTube for some of their like Summer of Bravo promos, there's all these like celebrities from Bravo that are, you know, doing these like wacky things. Like there's an Olympics themed one or there's like a deserted island th That's themed amazing. one where they've got all these like... Uh, Real Housewives and and their other reality personalities that are you know doing goofy things in front of a green screen basically. But James Lipton is in them as well, like just <laughs> alongside all all these Real Housewives, and it's a really uh, funny contrast. And it was it's fun to see him like have fun with that. It's also pretty amazing, even just the conception of like I guess that's every reality TV show, but you when you put a bunch of characters together and script it and see what happens like I, I kind of want to go back and watch the first couple of seasons and see like how how it's matured or how the editing has changed or how they choose to edit has changed I feel like that'd be really fascinating to just see yeah for sure like the first couple seasons of Real Housewives of Orange County definitely have like a little bit different of a vibe from what I've seen I haven't watched them like completely all the way through <laughs> um, but you know you. it's it's definitely like doesn't have the kind of um, mature like production right, and yeah. the, like storytelling that it it does now. So what well, like not to prolong this, but I'm just curious, um, which was the original franchise of them all? Like of the Real Housewives of Orange County. Oh, that's interesting because I I thought New York was the original one, um, and I don't know why I thought that. I think it's just because. I don't know. I actually thought that, but yeah, that's yeah. I well, I mean, so today we're talking about the most recent episode of Real Housewives of Orange County and an older episode of Real Housewives of New right. York, just because it was the holidays down in the states. So Atlanta and um, Atlanta didn't air, and there's right. a, a reboot of Real Housewives of New York that is about to premiere. So we thought it would be a really good. Um, it would be really fun to look at an old episode of Real Housewives of New York from a season that I think is amazing. Like they could, you could teach a class on this season of Real Housewives of New York. Um, and just as a bit of a lead in, but one thing that we do like to do is have a round table discussion about some sort of topic as it relates to Real Housewives or reality TV. And Billy, since you're an architect, I thought it'd be really fun to have you on to talk about something I'm really eager to talk about. And, you know, uh, Orange County and New York are really polar opposites in yeah. terms of this. Uh, but physical spaces, and I think, like, in any media or art that we consume, you know, the, the physical space that it's set in has a huge impact on a lot of aspects of the art. And so I'm assuming that this is, you know, physical spaces is something that you think about a lot in your in your job, Um I, I'm assuming, at least. Um, kind of. 
No, but yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> Imagine like, no, I do not do that. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're the wrong guy. <laughs> but I'm I'm wondering if that kind of feeds into the perspective that you have when you are consuming art or media. Like, do you consider the physical spaces a lot more than um, you know the average person does? Do you think? I think I do, and I. Yeah, I think so. Like, personally, uh, I love anything set in New York. So just because of the streets, kind of the metropolitan setting, it always, yeah. like, I always romanticize that for the better, for the worse. Uh, and particularly for the shows, I uh, I thought they were actually quite different in sense of, like, the scale of gatherings or even just, like, the events that they can move through. And I think maybe because the episode that we watched Orange County, they were in Montana. So I don't think they were actually in their usual mm-hmm. setting. Um, whereas I found it, it, in New York, it was a lot like, it was a lot more casual the way they would move through cities. They would go from someone's office to like someone's home. And then there would kind of be um, uh, improvised uh, like these gallery settings where they had openings randomly and people would just show up. And I thought that was a really different setup than this particular episode uh, with the Real Housewives of Orange County, because I thought Orange County was much more event-based and activity-based. Like it was almost like like a survivor kind of like they almost had challenges. Oh, yeah. They showed up to a farm and they had to like clean out a farm or they clean out a ranch. Uh, whereas the other one, uh, whereas, whereas New York was very much just like you know just like move around the city and you go to events and like that's the first thing I noticed. It, it was really um, that that's like the the differences I immediately noticed. But I, I am curious in Orange County what happens when they actually move back to their homes and they're more in their usual settings. If it's similar to New York where they kind of just go to one event to another in a very casual manner or is it still as organized and activity-based? I think it's still more than the others because, and I'm trying to recall earlier in, in the show in OC, but at least lately, the, the, there's a few factors. I think that the organic nature that you're that you're getting at Billy, I really, it really stands out to me. New York is my favorite show by far, and it's so it's just so real. Like as you said, they're going place to place. There are real people. They are running into real people, which causes real drama. Like that guy that we'll definitely talk about <laughs> um, later on. And it's and in the other shows. It's kind of just like there's nothing there's nothing organic about it sometimes. So they do just say we're gonna go play frisbee golf. We're gonna go to do yoga here. We're gonna go right, yeah. Run around in big bubble suits for whatever reason. Like it's kind of that's what they throw in when there's it's happening less organically. So I think that's very accurate. Even though the trips are even more so like that, it's more extreme. But I think it's it's fair to make that right. comparison. And it's 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 funny because like. Even in the New York episode, there were settings where some of the um, characters' personality can extend into their space. Like in this particular episode, they were in Bethany's office, and oh yeah, you know when you're in these offices, it just reminds me of like Kel uh, uh, on Earth. Like you, you kind of question if these are actual offices. And uh, in Bethany's office, she sprinkles the whole thing with like dashes of red. That's like reminiscent of like the Target red, and you're like, oh, oh this yeah, these are real. But they kind of make notes about it. It's like oh, and your and your brand's red. Just like oh it's like kind of i like how it kind of like creates like almost like a villain setting for bethany where it's like come yeah. to me like i summon you and then they uh we'll get into this a little bit more but they then confront each other in this setting i'm like oh this is kind of it's like a fun use of a set yeah totally um i think you touched on something about like the fluidity of real housewives of new york and how 
it does feel like the show kind of moves very organically from like setting to setting. Um, And yeah, you're totally right that that's not something that we see on Orange County very much when it's, you know, home and and not on a trip. Um, I wonder how much like the, you know, the suburban design of Orange County has an impact on that atmosphere. It's funny because I also, um, I was suspecting that too, that like if you were to kind of organize a shoot, like a, like any sort of shooting, like you would have to actually get the whole crew there and you have to organize them in cars and drive there. So it's not like someone can just take a cab and be like, yo, we need you in the scene, can you come? But like you really have to get everyone there. So um, I think the sequencing of that and then the logistics of actually getting those um, scenes ready could impact that, that you have to just kind of make it a bit more structured to kind of capture enough content. Um, and whereas I think in New York, it was a little bit different. People can exit scenes or kind of leave, um, conflict just via a cab, uh, which they often do. Uh, and I, uh, maybe that plays into it as well. I think that's such a good point. Yeah, totally. Because the like, there's always the the sprinter van or whatever that's taking them all these suburban people everywhere. <laughs> the only way they can really escape is like yeah. to like go in the van and hide out or call their own sprinter van to take them right. away, and that really affects yes. the dynamic of things. Because even in the Orange County episode, again, we'll go into this a little bit more. Uh, like some of the way they escape conflict was to go into their own jeep and kind of cry or hide from conflict, uh, and yeah. the vehicle, the vehicle, like and their private vehicles, become the thing they can like retrieve to, um, and and like in a way, they're almost like forced to confront the issues a bit more immediately because they have nowhere to hide. It's like okay, there's only so far you can go on this on this field. You gotta just like, and then another <laughs> lady would kind of go after them. Uh, that to your point, I think that it's kind of been true. Totally. Uh, One thing that I was like kind of curious about, and when I'm watching these shows, I can't help but like, you know, look for, you know, any sort of metaphor or symbolism or whatever. And I was, when I was thinking about like the physical settings and trying to, you know, um, make connections there, I was thinking like, you know, New York, you're thinking of like, you've got all these tall buildings and it's very like, there's this aspirational, it's a very like uh, a a vertical um, social, um, it's a very vertical social show. Like we saw in this episode, like Sonia talking about how she has to like get back to where she was. And uh, one thing on Real Housewives of New York, we see like Ramona is constantly trying to like Ramona and social climb. And so there's a lot of like verticality in that sense to New York where you don't really see that as much um, on Real Housewives of Orange County where it's a little bit more flat in terms of the like the social space that they are operating in and i would say that like you know a dominant theme within orange county maybe more so than other real housewives uh, is like a social uh social conformity like being able to conform and you know when you think about like suburban design the intention or the um the lack of intention surrounding it i'm curious as to you know what kind of informs the you know the suburban design space and whether like conforming to this the rest of your your neighborhood is a a strong consideration when you're you'd be designing a a house for a suburban environment right I, i think that's interesting as an observation i think suburbia emerged um as this whole movement where um 
there was this idea of white flight where a lot of actually Caucasian families left the downtown as the downtown was unfortunately stigmatized with uh, things um, such as crime and unemployment and such and all through America. So um, suburban design has always been based on almost these garden state ideas where it's like quite um, pleasant. They're very like meandering. They're all about wandering. It's definitely kind of about these white picket fence and safety um, mindsets, which I think it, it kind of actually does parallel what they're doing because so much of that is about kind of recreational leisure settings. And like when you look at OC as, as, as an episode, they are very like ladies who um, will go out to these ranches and kind of uh, bond through recreational activities. Whereas in New York, um, the entrepreneurial and the, uh, and the kind of business nature of, of the cast does come through a lot of them, um, even the way they host events. Like Bethany would host like a launch where it's just like, her um, showcasing her business plan to uh, to uh, a bunch of potential investors. I believe it's it's, a, it's yeah. a previous episode, and so much of the way they bond and the way they create relationships is a, it's, it's that social ladder that you're you're, you're commenting on. Uh, so I think those they do create different settings and different activity based uh, um, types for them to bond. Um, and e and even if you look at OC, like I feel like particularly for this episode, a lot of the relationships were like this inner circle. It was very much about them. There were very few kind of outside characters that can just kind of um, come in. Like even when the boyfriends uh, or the partners entered scenes, they were just kind of via a camera or a phone or some sort of digital device that was really brief. Um, whereas uh, in New York, the way they were structured, there were kind of all these potential business partners that can come in. There were kind of these satellite relationships that were about um, climbing the social ladder that were about building their empire and a lot of the ladies main um, their identity was also quite um, projected in their business uh, or in the way they would kind of build connections like the countess and like she can connect you with this person right uh, or um, or emulating each other in the way they would kind of build their business empire so I I, I feel like that that's kind of the difference in the way they like a suburban setting would kind of create that for one show, whereas like a city setting creates a different dynamic for the others. Yeah, totally. That, that makes total sense. Um, did either of you guys have any other thoughts in terms of like the, how setting might inform these shows before we move on? I wanted to talk a little bit about houses um, and, and how those factor into the, the plots of these shows. I find that on OC and a lot of other sort of franchises where they have the McMansion type homes it as we kind of talked touched on last week it 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 factors in a lot for some of the women we see heather on oc having like entire plot lines just building this disgustingly large and expensive house and pretty boring like for for me at yeah. least um and then there was shannon long ago when she had her original house with her husband she's now <laughs> divorced and it was like specially built they're all like custom built right everyone's building a house you see that on a, a lot yeah. of the different shows and she built it to i don't know how the i don't know like the you know the right perfectly designed vibes and and orientation i think she had like crystals built into it or just all sorts of founding. things yeah <laughs> yeah so so they're it's really important to them it's like a value that they want to show off is important to them that they have these really big custom houses and like to me it feels gross like i'm interested in a general sense but i'm also not because it's not what 
is actually interesting, but it's interesting that it's important to them. And then if you contrast that with New York, they take a very different perspective on presenting where people live. For one thing, it's not, I wouldn't say it's as central because again, as you said, Billy, there's so much more going on. It's so vibrant. It's just happening. And sure, if it, if it becomes a bit of a plot line, that's great. For Sonia, it's been a plot line. Um, and I love Sonia. She's one of my favorite, mm-hmm. all-time favorites as well. She has this townhouse, which was featured well in this episode. This townhouse has absolutely been a plot. Either she's trying to keep it and not lose it, or she's trying to rent it out and no one will wants to live there, or she's trying to fix all the leaky pipes that are constantly going or cleaning yeah. <laughs> dog poop off every section of the house from her dog. It's always kind of this comedy comedic, like jokey uh, thing where she looks a little nuts as she always does. And she's really attached to this townhouse. So that's one that I find interesting on New York, but it's such a different angle. Like it's not aspirational per se, even though I'm sure it costs so much money and all this, but it's always like oh, yeah, the, sure. the edit is that it's a dump and she and she's kind of a loser. <laughs> to, and, and no matter what's going on with her house, it's it's not really very glamorous. So I find that interesting, um, and and I find that very compelling. So yeah. that's actually such an interesting. I, I unfortunately didn't watch more of the OC to register that. And I should have yeah. just like probably picked up that they probably own these large real estates, which I just didn't see in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And that sounds so fascinating because so much about suburbia is about that quote unquote idea of a safety, like this idea of like you close your doors and you're in your own private space and that becomes your way to protect yourself, to mediate, to kind of reinforce sense of self as this built environment that you created. And for them, it's extremely large uh, McMansions that help them showcase wealth, that reinforces their identity. Whereas in New York, you can just assume that anyone owning a property, um, is probably like a hustle to even get there and to kind of uh, acquire that. But then like when I first read the um, the kind of theme of this title, I thought you meant physical space as in like people's personal bubbles. Like, oh, uh, so okay. like physical space as in like how, um, how much they actually um, confront each other's physical space. <laughs> like they literally are up in each other's businesses um, and kind of break that bubble and burst that bubble uh, so often, um, and where in the OC, it sounds like you can like actually physically construct that bubble as like your McMansion and close off the door. Uh, whereas in New York, because the flats are so small and sometimes even if you host people in your house, like you have to really unfold your private space to the city to actually, like you actually have to dwell in the city for you to have the same access to, um, to, uh, like retreats or like, you might have to go to a spa instead of go to your bedroom. You may not have a pool. You might have to go to like a public space. So like your physical space does have to unfold into the city a lot more. Whereas it, it, see, it sounds like you can just build your own thing. And everything is there and it's your own Mecca. It's almost like your own monument to yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's really interesting. Cause yeah. Like if you're in a very den- dense city environment, like New York, you don't have a yard, you go to the park. Right. Yeah. And I think like, like one of the things that's really interesting about you know the actual residences that people have um like you said sandy in orange county and a lot of these other uh, areas where they've got lots of space they're able to like build and construct whatever whatever they think best reflects their personalities whereas uh in new york it's a hustle to like to your point, Billy, to really carve out your own space. And you have to be like fluid and find like 
find a crack and like expand into it and like you know that results in some like some like awkward and hard edges both like in your personality because of how you've had to operate in order to like make your way up socially within new york but also you know we see awkward awkwardly shaped residences in new york all the time like i think like carol's uh place is kind of like awkwardly constructed there's like a loft it's nice but it's like you know if you had a blank canvas that's not exactly the layout that you would have and also in this episode we saw we saw jules apartment which has like a tv that's mounted in her like hallway that's like a really awkward position but you just have to like find whatever nook you can and expand into it and keep kind of like iterating on that process to carve out what becomes your your home and i think that you know that's similar to the you know the personality traits that like make you successful um within that you know such a dense urban environment totally and and you can also see the reflection in what you said billy on how they act and how that comes into their interactions on OC, it's not to say they never get in each other's faces, but you know, they're reserved. They have that built-in bubble. They're used to that suburban bubble of personal space. Whereas even on this episode of New York, we saw John putting his hand in Ramona's face, just getting this physical space being crushed. We saw that we saw the Ray, the 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 whatever drunk or high or whatever guy that is in love with Luann just going really close to, I think it was Sonia when he was trying to talk to her and it was like, that's everywhere. And so that really reflects in, in their interactions, which is really interesting. It's funny because this um, this conversation reminds me of a movie called Crash. I've never, if you guys ever watched it, but it's Crash with Sandra Bullock and a bunch of other people. But it's, 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 um, this is not the theme, but like the way I watched it was that it was about LA. It was very much about people who drove cars. And so, um, and I may not be recalling this correctly. So whoever's listening and if I misremember the movie, please um, don't call me out on it. But it was a lot about people moving through the city via their cars, their own private space. And they don't really ever uh, confront each other because if you have the ability to just like close your world off in your home in your car you can move through like these completely privatized mindsets like from one space to another without ever actually having a deal uh with your community or anyone else and um so in crash there are scenes where some of these relationships kind of start to break and start to uh um uh kind of the boundaries start to loosen up a bit and you see characters and social classes confronting each other um, so I find that like it, it, it seems like it's a good mirror of both uh, of both of these societies, OC and NYC. Whereas it seems like OC is very much about kind of constructing these like isolated bubbles of interaction uh, of the ladies of the family, but it's like very um, well um, carried it with their, their own mindset. Whereas um, in New York, you get these kind of interactions that uh, you don't expect, even at the gallery opening, I think there was a guy called Ray, I forgot his name, but Ray, he was yeah. definitely, he was my favorite character in that episode. Um, <laughs> he was uh, definitely a little bit tipsy <laughs> during the whole gallery setting and they kind of got into this huge dispute where I suspect that would never really happen if you can just go from your home to your car, to a thing, you know who's gonna be there, you know who's on the invite list, and then you leave that whole event and then you just go home again. Um, and I think that's why I find like there for me, I just incline towards the New York, the New York setting a little bit more. 
Totally. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I I think it's it's also like interesting how you know the spaces that you're operating in also like inform kind of tonally what we get from the like the storytelling, not just from a like a personality <laughs> perspective. Like, and I think it was interesting when we watched this episode of Orange County when it's set on this ranch. It does seem a lot more like uh like a western they impart this like kind of a lot of these western tropes within the episode where we saw like the confrontation that we caught the tail end of at the beginning of this orange county episode but was more present in the previous episode where we've got taylor and heather kind of going head to head in the saloon and they've got the like they're like squaring off their eyes and like squinting and you know even down to like um Heather wearing the the white cowboy hat, which right. in Westerns typically symbolizes like the hero and Taylor having the, the black hat when she's coming in to stir shit up. Like, um, I just thought that it was really interesting that we see these tropes like extracted from other like notable work that exists within spaces similar to this um and are able to project that on these shows and like see new nuance whether it's intentional or not it's still like something that adds to the experience of engaging with it i think it, it definitely adds like a disney quality to it like the vacation of like of that particular ranch setting just because they were always in these cowboy uh like uh, attires that it it, it didn't take like it, it was like you did have to kind of like project yourself into that world, uh, particularly in this episode. Um, yeah. But I wonder if those tropes also exist in the New York City uh, settings because, again, I'm thinking of the gallery opening where you kind of have to like dress in your mink and you have to kind of play up these, um, these like um, like regales of wealth to like kind of be in those settings or. Uh, there were um, kind of cocktail dresses and like various things that um, like the business, the, the people who run a business would always kind of wear a blazer. Like there were these things that they also had to play into to reinforce that character and reinforce that fantasy of being in New York where, you know, you have this like whole, like you go from day to night, you can just wear the same outfit, but you throw a blazer on <laughs> like these kind of like yeah. narratives that you're told. Um, but yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I think like, Especially when I think about like New York in things like like film, for example, I feel like whenever you've got something that is set in New York, it's very intentional. Like it's yeah. very clearly like New York because it's either operating in like this high class socialite um, like stratosphere or like finance or um, you know, I, I or they're using like the the personality that that city has as like a character, like you see on sex in the city or another example that I personally love is NYPD blue, which really, um, really brings out the personality of that city, even though I think it was mostly shot in Los Angeles, but they do a great job of like highlighting the New York city personality within that show. Um, It seems like a very like intentional setting and you do get that exact same vibe when you're watching real housewives of, new york just in right. how they highlight the areas how they talk about the geography of the city like mm-hmm. the various like neighborhoods and boroughs and you know there's even i remember like conversations where they're talking about various like street numbers and like you know what happens higher than this number or you know what right. happens below like, this number sort yeah. of thing like where 
where things take place on the grid of New York. And that also goes right down to like informing where Dorinda and Ramona had a conversation during this episode where Mm -hmm. Dorinda intentionally chose the restaurant because it was in the neighborhood where they became friends. And like, it's, it's where their kids went to school and they, she used that space and that neighborhood as a way to kind of ground her like back to like, um, you know, where let's get back to our roots and let's like rehabilitate this. And I don't know uh, yeah, I just think there's so many possibilities for like physical storytelling within New York. That's really yeah, and it's like it's actually funny when when you're saying that. It actually, I think that picking up on the idea of a physical space and the paralleling of how they climb the social ladder is actually much more immediate. Because like, you, to be done, you know, Upper East Side means something. Like um, Lower yeah. Manhattan means something. Uh, like to kind of immediately reference the neighborhood or be able to. Um, name certain neighborhoods like these are the areas I visit really does signify your social class particularly when you uh, talk about I'm sure this is um, not just New York based but when you talk about what areas your uh, your kids go to school I feel like that's a huge like almost um, subtle flex of wealth or subtle flex of well-being like oh those are the schools associated with this area and, and these are not and um, I find like the grid really does become like the matrix that like signifies all those ideas of wealth, uh, where you need to move to, where social mobility needs to be, and how you have to kind of exist on Manhattan to be someone that's influential. I haven't watched enough of the Orange County version of that, but I suspect there must be a similar idea that parallels that. Like, I I think it's a little less so like in terms of how the geography informs um the the storytelling on right. orange county uh, certainly a lot less than new york uh, yeah. maybe not um you know I, new jersey is another uh franchise where i think the geography of new jersey is like a very big component of the show both yeah. you know talking about the the neighborhoods or the like the you know, the suburbs and cities that they live in within New Jersey. Uh-huh. Um, but also just like how the, the culture of the area informs the, the, the content. Um, but Orange County, I feel like it has a lot, substantially a lot less than other shows, at least uh, compared to the East Coast shows. Right. I think on on uh, OC, I find sometimes they're building houses and then they'll be like, well, I'm building next to you. And then they'll be like, well, I'm actually moving to somewhere else. And I can't keep track of where they're moving and where they're building. But it seems like there's a little bit of that, but it might be so specific that it wouldn't like re- relate, be relatable for a larger audience. And whereas obviously New York, everyone can kind of get that. And I remember when Alex in New York, she, she lived in Brooklyn. And <coughs> everyone was just appalled that they had to go to Brooklyn for a party, stuff like that. So it's a little more understandable for people. I, and that, like, and that is a remnant, like, that is the idea of a suburb, right? There is this kind of, like, sameness that's not locale-driven in a suburb. Like, if you drive through any suburbia, um, even the older ones, like, there are specific, like, housing types that they repeat to create this idea of a neighborhood. Like, the, the idea of a neighborhood is, like, we are all... Um, in a suburb, I mean, uh, we're all kind of a same income level, same family values, same, same everything. We drive the same car, we own the same amount of cars, we have the same backyard. And I think that renders this like, um, 
monotonous landscape that's like very hard to actually pin down. Like you can take a shot of any suburb in the States and you would it, it, be quite hard pressing for you to like actually name where they are. Whereas in New York, you get these various immediate landmarks. Like you get, um, you, uh, you get Central Park, you get the museums, you get the Guggenheim museums. Like there are things that really help ground and um, help you locate where you are. Whereas maybe in Orange County that matters a bit less because so much of it is kind of like these constructed worlds of like going to a ranch, uh, coming to my mansion. It's, it's much, it's in a way almost like more assembled and much more um, choreographed in that sense. Totally. Yeah. I think there's like just not as many like points of reference, you know, within Orange County to really try to like ground yourself within that geography. But I feel like even in like New Jersey, I mean, New York has the advantage of it's a like a very high profile city that like people know all these landmarks, even if they haven't been there, they can kind of like, um they they understand them you but even like a place like new jersey i think the geography of that plays into things in a way that is a lot more substantial than uh orange county even if you're not familiar with the area the way they talk about the you know the different areas that they live in you can you can kind of you know project a a map and like kind of you know, see the the hot spots and cold spots of where's desirable and what it means to be here and what it means to be I, there. I wonder if Orange County, if it has more relationship to like the coast, like because there is like a Golden Coast in that area that like maybe you are closer to the water versus you're away from the water, like because uh, like any sort of view of um, uh, of water would like mean would signify a lot of wealth, and especially if you can like buy private land in in those uh, in those uh, settings. So I, I do wonder maybe it's it's more like about the natural features of that of that whole area as opposed to like neighborhood or landmark based um, things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I do want to get into our recaps. Uh, did you guys have any final thoughts before we move on? Good. No, I actually. Uh, I mean, before I get to do, I've never again. I've never really watched these shows before, so I did try to watch it through the lens of like. I wonder which scenes I would have a good time in, like which yeah. scenes I would love to be in. And so uh, there were a couple, but I, I would wait until the episode. But that's kind of how I like watched it through. Okay, well, yeah, let's let's dive in. Which uh, which of these uh, episodes would you have more fun in? We'll start there. I think I would have fun in in both episodes, but there were friendships that I definitely bonded closer with, like in the in the New York franchise. I really loved it. Uh, and, and excuse me if I forget some of the character names, just because I there were oh, yeah. cast members, so I I might get them mixed up. Uh, but there was a scene in the New York uh, episode where they were at this place called Sushi Rocks. Uh, oh yeah, where uh, they were just kind of having like this really good time, and the way this described the show was just kind of like at Sushi Rocks, anything goes. You can eat, you can dance, you can just do whatever. And then they eventually turned the whole conversation about one of the ladies uh, being a squirter. Um, yeah. and I was like, you know what? Like, I would kind of enjoy this. Like, I kind of love the idea of myself having a martini, vibing next to someone, having raw fish just grabbing fish and talking about sex. I'm like, Hey, I can see myself (laughs) totally being into that. Whereas uh, in the OC, the friendships and the kind of um, the love I liked a lot was between, I think it's um, uh, Tamara and Shannon when they were um, just, um, they they had a couple 
incidents and a couple moments that were really endearing. Like one is when they were like just in one of the cottages or one of the houses and they're throwing gummy bears at each other and they just got wasted and they were just yeah. on the floor. <laughs> uh, and I'm just like, okay, this is like really cute and I could totally want to be in this. And they had this, this thing that kept alluding to their like two and a half years past um, of like some drama that I don't, I didn't fully figure out what it was. But I'm like, hey, I, I would love to be here. And then even like the little moments, they, they were kind of like uh, the comedic, uh, um, points of, of this episode I found, like even when moments were really tense, there were moments between Shannon and uh, Tamara where she would just cut her belt off or like, cut her jeans apart just so she can get out of her pants and go pee. And like, oh, like I really, I, I love those friendships where you can sense that there's a pass, they're trying to overcome something, but then they're still able to just like get together, get wasted and have a really good time. Uh, and those are the moments I really loved in both of the shows. Of course, there was all the drama as well, but like when, when it's like really endearing, uh, that's when I really enjoyed the show. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's let's start with Orange County then. Uh, you touched on this this conflict that Tamara and Shannon are overcoming, and um, I agree. This is like kind of a compelling uh, scene for me. Just like the the sort of the venting uh, off of this like built up pressure from all this tension that these two good friends have had over the course of, you know, how uh, the two and a half years or whatever. Um, I really loved this, this atmosphere. Like you can kind of feel the energy like lifting and them getting back to this lighter, um, this lighter relationship. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting or uh, really nice to see. And also interesting from the perspective of how it is going to change the social, um, uh, the social makeup of the, the group. I like, I, I couldn't quite figure out the siding of the whole group, to be honest. I, I like, I came out the episode really thinking, I had this, I, I guess that whole episode for me, the villain was Gina. And I'm not sure if everyone agrees. Maybe. Oh, okay. Not, yeah. Because she just kept entering these situations where she would just spill the tea and try to stir things up. And I'm like, I don't know if I like this about you. I feel like you're kind of just like, it's not factual. It was all about like, like misquoting people. I'm like, I don't really like Gina. I feel like she just kind of came in there and <laughs> like caused a lot of shit. And um, and I also felt really bad for Jen. I just felt like everyone's all for business, uh, uh, especially towards the end of this episode where they had this kind of like confrontation with her where everyone just kind of asked her about her own, uh, her own infidelity and her own uh, relationships. Like, well, I don't know if ultimately she has to answer to any of this. Like, I feel she could have just done her own thing and she didn't have to explain herself. But I, I, yeah, I just couldn't quite figure out the siding of all the characters because there was a lot of past relationships I couldn't follow. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you picked up on Gina being the villain. My like, my final note after watching this show was, wow, Gina is having such a great season. Oh. Um, and I mean, the, the, the fact that she like might be considered a villain, that does not like, that would not change that for me. Like, I think I love villains. And so that's one of the things that's most compelling. But villain is not something that I really got from what she was doing. I feel yeah. like she's operating very like strategically socially, and 
Um, she's also someone that is like kind of playing from behind. Like she is not a top dog here at all. Um, I think that what she has been doing with Heather is pretty smart, even if it doesn't like necessarily play out. It kind of like backfires in this uh, this episode that we see. But she's trying to align herself with Heather, especially on this trip, because Emily, who is one of her like traditional allies, is not there. Right. Um, but I think that her, you know, talking with Heather in the the shit truck that they were scooping out um i thought that this was smart and i thought that her read was good like um you know she this was an opportunity to like show heather that she had her back and like strengthen that relationship Mm. um and also just like i mean real talk when i think i think it was gina that said like you know if they're in a restaurant pulling up your imdb they're you know they're not doing it to say nice things like they're doing it (laughs) to be catty and so like you know just like think about that and um and then i thought she really capped it off nicely um and uh, in a really aware way by being like but you know what if you are fine with how things are and you want to drop it i'm like totally willing to drop it like she is kind of like putting herself out there for heather being like look i got your back this is how i see things potentially being framed i'm willing to you know go at after you know tamara and and taylor over this and be on your side for it but if that's not how you want to play this i'll do whatever you want like strategically it's the ball's in your court and i'm willing to be on your side and you know heather ends up throwing this away during the course of the episode she immediately rats gina out to shannon which like that seems like a more villainous thing in in my opinion Mm. but also i think that was actually a smart thing for heather to do like when i saw this i was like uh but also that's smart because heather this whole season has been really working hard to try to isolate Tamara as like an ally because Tamara is coming back after a long period of being off the show. And Tamara is like an all-star, one of the all-time greatest housewives and someone that you definitely want on your side. Right. And so to put this out there and use this piece of information as a way to uh, hopefully get Tamara to align with her, I think that was smart for her to do. I think she maybe misread it a little bit because I feel like that ship has sailed now that we see Shannon and Tamara come back together and, you know, really make up. I think it's going to be too hard to um, penetrate that, that bond. Um, You're never going to be like above Shannon if, if she's aligned with, with Tamara. So, um, but I don't blame her for, for trying and basically doing a very similar thing to what Gina was doing by bringing this information and like selling her out. And I think that when we got to that final scene with, with the camping, um, you know, I think that Heather realized that her read was, was wrong. And I think she did a really great job of trying to make things up with Gina when Gina was like clearly affected by this immediately, like Heather's like by her side and being like, like taking her side and being like, okay, um, you know, this 
yeah, that's not okay. I would be upset about that too. And like following her out because she saw that, you know, this relationship with Gina is potentially jeopardized. And there's a huge like deck reshuffling that is happening during this scene because when Gina starts talking to um, uh, having the conflict with Tamara, then uh, Jen kind of like pipes up on, on Gina's side right. and is like, yeah, you know, that this doesn't really make sense to me or whatever it is that she says. She makes it clear that she's like, you know, siding with, uh, with Gina and and taking her side, um, and immediately that's when you know Tamra knows that she's got this like this trump card that she can play where it's this infidelity that Gina's going to be like immediately affected by and completely sever that relationship so that she's got all these different fronts isolated as opposed to a united front that she's dealing with. And why was Gina so affected by Jen's infidelity? That's where I maybe miss something so her ex cheated on her and oh, she okay. is clearly just like not she's triggered by processing that it. that's yeah. yeah i also loved it when heather did follow gina to the car at the very end and i think gina was about to make a call to her current boyfriend and uh, uh and heather was just like no you're not gonna do that you're not gonna do that and i'm gonna tell you why but I'm also just like, I feel like you're making this up as you're going along. I feel like you don't, yeah. like, I don't like, she just had a really long pause. I'm like, I'll figure it out in 30 seconds. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, and she just hung up on the guy. It's like, and, I, and I'll tell you why. I'm going to tell you why right now. I'm about to tell you why. Are you ready for me to tell you why? I'm just like, this is a really long lead in. Um, yeah. And we see that Gina obviously did not take her advice. And I'm kind of interested in that choice. Like, I was when, as when when Heather was giving that advice. I was like, I don't know, but then I was like, maybe, maybe that's good advice. But I'm not, I'm kind of torn on that one. But but Gina definitely didn't like it, so I guess it didn't go over well. Because Heather's advice to Gina was not to run to her current boyfriend, mm -hmm. right? Like to not disclose too much about her ex relationship because that would kind of signify that Gina is not over the ex and that might kind of create turmoil in the current relationship. Or at least expose yeah. that she is ongoingly very upset about this. I'm sure he knows all about it, but that this is triggering her on like a right. nightly basis because of what her ex did, that he might start to think she's not over her ex or whatever. Right. Yeah, I feel like this is like a bit... Well, I think it's this is Heather being opportunist yeah. and trying to make a social play and exactly. like align really herself. So I think that's like at the fore, foremost, that's what it is. But also, I feel like this advice is a little bit, you know, uh, informed by the generational gap mm -hmm. between Gina and Heather. Totally. Like, this is definitely something that, you know, someone from Heather's generation, like, you can hear that voice and being like, Oh, you don't want to, you don't want to push your partner away with this as opposed to like, Open up to you them. know, I feel like, yeah, I feel like our generation is a lot more emotionally open. And so mm -hmm. it'd be like, okay, yeah, obviously you want to talk to your partner about what's impacting you emotionally. You don't want to just like, you know, shove that down. Um, but this was, again, was a really hilarious moment when, uh, Gina's like dialing and it's ringing and Heather <laughs> grabs the phone. It's like, oh no, uh, she's okay. She's okay. We'll, we'll call you back. Like, the poor partner. Yeah, he's just like, like, okay. Despite all the partners mostly being assholes, it's like, okay, bye. <laughs> like, yeah. This was my, this was guess, my scene this week. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Do they, yeah. But it was interesting watching Heather, as, as you said, Craig, like 
realize, I mean, she even had it in her confessional. She was like, oh, I, I hope I don't get left out now that Tamara and uh, Shannon are together. And then there's a few moments where you could really actually see, and I kind of could relate from like, a, you know, feeling left out in elementary school. She was kind of trying to be goofy with them. And they were just like not paying attention to her. And she was just kind of cut out right. all of a sudden. And it, I kind of felt for her, but it makes sense that she should, as you very, uh, you very well explained the dynamic and what's going on here and how things are reshuffling. So it's going to be interesting to watch how that goes. Craig, you are much more observational than me than me just being a first time exposer. I feel like if I wrote The Real Housewives, they would just like kind of be making pancakes and like having a really good time and listening to Dolly Parton the whole day. And then like no one's gonna watch anything. I'm like, why don't we just all get along and like eat banana and pancakes and it's gonna be great. <laughs> Which is like not <laughs> No, it, it is like, it is super interesting. And this is like really what I was hoping for with like camera coming back in is that it was gonna shake things mm -hmm. up in, in this way and see how things land because you know um i think there's you just need that to happen and change these dynamics and so it's it's interesting to see this happen i'm uh i'd be curious to how this would be different if emily was there because mm -hmm. uh gina and emily you know they kind of come together quite a bit especially on trips they're like right. inseparable on yeah. trips so um i feel like we might not have got this if emily was there like gina would not be as uh compelled to try to you know bring heather into the fold i but um so i'm i'm just really glad that this played out the way it did i actually like i did make a note um in this episode where I just wrote in caps, who was Emily? <laughs> she, was, she, was, yeah. she was just not invited. But I actually kind of liked her character, especially when she showed shots of her younger modeling years and it was just kind of these catalogs. I'm just like, I kind of <laughs> love your vibe. I kind of want to know a bit more about you. And your child seems like a monster. Like, I like, <laughs> want to know uh, I like how you handle this world of housewives. And I was sad that she wasn't there. And I didn't know her and Gina came in as a package. So it's like good to hear that Gina has a bit, um, it has a, has other allies that she can draw upon. Yeah. I'd say it's not like a, as like strong of a package as some of the other pairs sure, that sure. we see, but yeah. it is like, it is kind of a loose pair. They came on the show at the same time and that right. really like plays into this as well. But, um, I, and I mentally just have a lot, like a really strong association between right. the, the two of them. Um, but we see it play out where it's not as like tight as it, you know, as, as it is in, in my head. Um, so what is like, I guess uh, to redirect some attention to the other characters, I, I, I was also trying to understand Jen's history with the show because she was quite focused on, on this episode uh, whereas her own, you know, her, her private businesses were kind of like being talked about and everyone was like, let's, should we tell her, should we not tell her, um, like, does she often get, um, kind of not picked on per se, but like, do the, do the ladies kind of like pay her this much attention in general, or how does that usually, how has she played out as a character in the season? So, so this is her first season, so oh, she's okay. brand new. Okay, so that's on. that's kind of like what we're seeing is how is she going to fit into this group? Is she going to be, you know, whose ally is she going to be? Is she even going to be a useful ally? Right. Or is she just like 
chum in the water and they're going <laughs> to use her infidelity as something to like pick apart. And then, you know, she doesn't have anything to carry her forward. So she'll be a, a one and done. At least I think she's, that's how yeah. it's going to play out. Oh, I think that I wish, she's not yeah. bringing anything. And I think she's, gonna I think she's just too gone. apologetic for what she's doing. I mean, like, just like, just don't let them pick on you like that. Like if they're going to go yeah. come at you at this, like ring of fire, just like, I, of course, there will be no TV again. Again, if I wrote it, I'll be like, I don't have to explain this. <laughs> just walk away, there'll be no scene. But, no. but that's not how she should but, do it. But, but maybe she, she should have, just own yeah. up more to it. Yeah. yeah. She doesn't have to walk Sorry, away. She No, I didn't mean to. I just was like to build on that. She doesn't have to walk away. She can be like, fuck you. Like, don't criticize my past, whatever. She can do whatever she wants here. She's making a weak choice. She's trying to be amicable. She's trying to understand. Yeah. Like, Gina can be upset all she wants about someone else's infidelity. That's as somebody said, like largely yeah. are her problem. I mean, it, and it's, it's great for drama. Like I'm not complaining as a viewer, but, and like the stuff about, about him saying about Tamara, he wants to fuck her. I'm like, again, as a viewer, I, I enjoy it and I appreciate Tamara's work. She's, she's a genius, mm -hmm. but it's also, that's really neither here nor there for normal people. That was not when they were even together. That is mm -hmm. not a that is not a controversy, but, but so Jen needs to toughen up and start playing in the big leagues. And I don't think she can, as you're saying, Craig. And I yeah, think I think like she's, she's in a position where, like you said, she's making weak choices. And so the other women are picking up on this and that they're able to come in uh, and make attacks that would otherwise require like them to expose a bit more vulnerability like in in the housewives game right like by gina dwelling on this affair and like getting so worked up about it she is exposing a potential like attack point for jen if she was stronger at this she could be like yeah so what why are you so affected by this and really use it that as a, so like, a way to like come from you go on the uh, attack as opposed to like just curling up in, in a ball and same with this thing with the like um the the comment about uh her her boyfriend ryan being like oh yeah i'm i'm gonna fuck tamra like you know that's that's another thing where that's an opportunity for jen to be like you know so what like what's the deal with eddie why haven't you why haven't you told him this like you, you didn't bring this up until now and it's because you didn't tell Eddie. Why are you worried about what Eddie thinks? That, that's nothing. Like, what's going on with you? Like, it's it's another opportunity for her to be on the tack. But I think, like, you know, Tamara feels completely safe putting this out there because Jen is playing the game so weak. Right. And same, you know, I think Gino is a smart enough housewife that if she saw that, you know, Jen was going to be making an attack on this she would be able to cover it up a bit more and not play as like offensive a game as as she has been but you know yeah jen's just playing this so weak and just letting herself be torn apart i guess like in jen's defense because like there was a bit of hint that her story was inconsistent depending on who she was talking to maybe she was still trying to get the vibe or understand who her ally is or who how much she can actually dispose in, in terms of information that she had these inconsistencies but again like it worked to her disadvantage because people were like you're telling lies your story isn't true it's not consistent um and i i didn't think about it in your lens craig that like she could play offense if she just kind of just twists it a little bit and if she just switched the narrative i'm like that's really smart she should have totally done that because then the attention would be off her and she can call 
she can call out everyone else and she would kind of kind of gain that uh she would gain the upper hand in these situations i didn't watch the next episode but it's gonna be turning towards maybe a bit about gina and her dealing with her own stuff this next episode they might just turn their attention away from her and her camera time like her her screen time will just be cut quite short so yeah um i do want to get into the episode of real housewives of new york that we were talking uh that we watched uh did you guys have any final thoughts on real housewives of orange county before we move on my only final thought is a shout out to my favorite housewife of this show shannon who is a natural born physical comedian and her genius should be appreciated i don't know i just (laughs) i just love watching her i just like she's she's so like she just rolls with it when they found an eyelash on her shirt they found an extension hanging out of her hair and she just did a whole little bit about it and i just i just love her i just really enjoy her i I, yeah that's all (laughs) my final thought is that this episode should just be called imbd because uh, I just, I just like even as they were saying, because there's this whole mix-up of is it IMDb or IMBD, and even as I was watching, I'm like, wait, what is it? Like I like just like couldn't yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a good watch. I don't think it would be the franchise I would start with. I think I would want to get used to this like kind of world a little bit, but I'm not sure if I would immediately return to this franchise as as like um, as my continuous watch. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I, I feel like it's just um, maybe not as um, it's not as like high stakes or high drama as as some of the other franchises are. But there is a pretty good cast of characters, mm. and also you've got you know you've got some real legends that have been on, on this the franchise, like yeah. like Tamra and you know Vicky, who we're hopefully going to be seeing a, mm. a bit later this season, Shannon as well. But, I mean, there's been some some great seasons of Orange County as well. Um, so I want to move on to Real Housewives of New York. So the reboot, season 14, is coming out in a couple weeks on the, I guess, uh, about a, a week from Sunday. Um, we decided that we want to revisit an episode from season 8 of Real Housewives of New York, which is a fantastic season uh mostly i wanted to do this so that we would have some contrast between that and real housewives of orange county so for our discussion about the the setting but let's uh let's get into our highlights uh billy what were your thoughts here um <laughs> my thoughts were so i never experienced this tagline intro thing and i didn't expect it to be like a thing but i loved it in the beginning it helped me like actually anchor the characters and i'm assuming they must have maybe written that themselves a little bit to a certain degree. So I mm-hmm. like in general just really love that intro because it was like quite Power Rangery. Like you know, like Power Rangers, you like <laughs> you know like what the Red Ranger is about, what the Yellow Ranger is about. But you get like you know, you get Jewel, who was a Jew and an Asian, walked into a bar and they had me, and I'm just like, I love that <laughs> as a tagline. Um, but I think my real highlight actually really was. Uh, when they were in the art gallery and there was this like complete like chaos that breaks out as the event rolls on and the character Ray enters the scene and they confront each other. Um, but just also understanding, um, like, I, I think that uh, the allyship in this, in this, in this episode was much more clear, like just to know who's on whose team, like what game they're playing. So I got into a lot quicker, uh, but generally a really good episode. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, this, uh, this scene at 
Dorinda or John's dry cleaning event. I don't even really fully understand the the context of this because this was a very like swanky event for a dry cleaner to put on and i guess he's the dry cleaner to the stars or something oh is that like what that? he does i thought he created fashion for the stars but sorry that makes so much no, more sense a dry cleaner yeah <laughs> that is so good <laughs> and i love how he pointed out the stain uh, on dorinda's dress for her that was Rude. Yes. Not yeah. a nice thing to do. <laughs> but Dorinda loved it. Dorinda was like, that's why we're a perfect match, because I always have a stain on me. I'm like, hey, there's an innuendo there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I had kind of forgotten about this uh, dynamic with John in this season and how, you know, people are so concerned about whether John is a good fit for Dorinda um, on this, on this season, it's especially like Ramona has some sort of issue with John. I I feel like Bethany had some sort of issue with John. We didn't really see that during this episode, but um, yeah, I forgot about this, this dynamic. And so to see John on the screen again and just remember how, kind of abrasive he actually is was really interesting. I don't think I took the same interest in him as a character when I initially watched this mm-hmm. as I had when I was watching this episode this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, it, was, it was quite like stark. I was like, wow, this is absolutely unacceptable behavior. And I, I again, yeah. same Craig, I don't really remember thinking much about that in the past, but it's... I mean, that being said, there's a lot of unacceptable behavior on the show, and we love it, but but, uh, (laughs) pretty aggressive. (laughs) He was quite explosive. I think, like, that's why it just stood out to me a little bit. But then there was this whole drama about the tipsy girl, skinny girl situation that was also uh, happening in this episode that was, like, pretty good to watch play out. Um, I mean, I I do wonder, I, I did wonder a little bit about, I think it's Sonya's past that she just came out from a chapter 11 bankruptcy <laughs> situation and she just kind of like um like we just kind of like scrolled past that really fast like wait what did what what happened like what was her like what was her deal <laughs> yeah i'm not entirely sure what the actual situation was with that because i feel like if it was a personal bankruptcy then you know she'd probably lose the house right like seems like she wouldn't have the townhouse unless maybe that's part of like the Morgan family that she doesn't actually own that outright or there's some sort of holding company that owns it. I don't really understand the full details of it, but Sonia is definitely trying to like climb back up. Um, she was part of the, the Morgan family. Like Morgan is uh, a last name that she married into and oh, okay. divorced and, and kept it. And that's like, the Morgan family of like the JP Morgan. Oh, so that's her Trump card. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So she like, she is maintaining that, um, sort of proximity to To, wealth and status association retaining. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Retaining that last name after the, the divorce. Do you, um, I guess my question is, do you, so she's trying to, um, start a brand called tipsy girl, which is really similar to, Bethany's brand, um, Skinny Girl, and they're both alcohol products. Um, do you buy Sonia's character? Do you think she like knew what she was up to when she called her brand Tipsy Girl? Or like, do you think it literally was like, she just thought it was cute and she's wanted to roll with it? 
So I don't think she came up with the name. I feel like her business partners came up with the name, and I think they definitely knew what they were doing. Um, I think Sonya, I don't know whether she put some thought into it. She plays the aloof character like extremely well. Like there's almost no break in character. And I I could be convinced that, you know, Sonya is a hundred percent herself all the time and it's this isn't like an exaggeration of her personality that we're mm, seeing. Right. Um so it could be that she didn't know. Um but I also don't believe when she said that no one told her that this was close. Like, I, I don't believe that no one was like, oh, hey, you know, what's Bethany going to think? Like, I don't believe that it didn't, you know, cross paths with her at some point. One of yeah. my favorite lines in this episode is because so because of these um, uh, of the two brands being so similar, eventually Sonia and Bethany were like in confrontation to talk about, you know, the similarities of this. Uh, and Bethany just told Sonia, you can't play stupid and smart at the same time. I'm like, that's actually a mm -hmm. really great line. Um, just because I know those kind of people in my life where it's like, you can't play, you can't just like play, you can't play stupid when you want and smart when you want. And that's what I'm like, yeah. I feel like Sonia is doing this bullshit and I don't know, like, I don't fall for it, but then I'm like, I, I like, you just came up from chapter 11. So maybe it is. Really <laughs> so like, I, yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know. It, it, I, I'm, I was thinking about this too. And I don't know that Sonia plays smart all that much like she i don't know that she pulls it off like i <laughs> yeah. i i tend to maybe she I tries yeah or... i tend to believe as you said Karen, i think she is authentic that's that's my best guess because god she's good like i feel so sad for her when when bethany was berating yeah, her and I, I think she's a i think she's she's a level of delusional where you can bury things under the <laughs> rug or keep your head in the sand and you can keep believing a narrative you tell yourself that Bethany won't be mad about this. You might know deep down, but she's had a history of, as Bethany very well illustrated, many very obscure, weird, and ultimately failed businesses. So I love watching that storyline for her. She's such <laughs> yeah. a fascinating character. She had a toaster oven that people are helping her do photo shoots and all these things. She has a, a, a soccer team. She has... <laughs> She had a perfume. Apparently, I love. Well, I loved it when Bethany just railed and turned, just listed her failed attempts. At, mm -hmm. The toaster oven was fucking amazing. I was like, I need to look up your business ventures after this because, like, they were non-continuous as a brand and they sound very rational. But I love them all. Yeah, and she, she, what she did always have was extreme confidence in every as she talked about it, but it it read as delusional like very obviously and everyone would comment on that yes and yeah. she just never gave up on that narrative but it was very consistent in its delusion so she's like i think she's consistent and i think i believe her um to an extent but it's but that entails a lot this... of delusion yeah i think she's <laughs> definitely checked out and kind of structures her own kind of narrative to achieve her quote unquote success or what she needs to do. There was this one really sad moment where uh, Bethany and Sonia were in conversation or kind of more of an argument. And uh, Sonia, sorry, uh, Bethany was questioning Sonia's distributors. Like, who are you like distributing this with? And poor Sonia just like couldn't name one. And like, and she was like, you know, like I know people uh, and they know people. And so, um, and then Bethany's like, 
who? And then Sonya's like, you know, like this dude. And it's like, who? Who do you know? And this kind of like kept going at her. I'm like, oh, Sonya, like, yeah. just can you name one? Yeah. And I think she actually did yeah. name one, but it was like, it was like, it was like if I had to name like, like a soccer team, like I just yeah, like, just yeah. like Ira, <laughs> Manchester Eagles. Like it was like, like just like you need to put a city and a name together. I'm like, yeah. oh, I feel bad for you. And kind of like, oh, I just, yeah, yes. it was like. Oh, but you know what you're doing, but like you're so bad at it. Like, exactly. You're bad at being stupid smart and you're bad at being smartly stupid. Like like <laughs> pick a lane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she's so like she's so removed from like what it would take to actually operate yeah. this well, and brand. She says like, um, oh, we've got a lot of distributors that we're friends with. She refers to like totally. those as friends as opposed to like actual like connections. Like, oh, we're in discussion with these distributors. Like that. It's like, oh, we're we're friends with these people. <laughs> right. <laughs> like we are on Instagram. I follow them. It, yeah. Well, it comes back a little bit to your early point where you talk a lot about the New York franchise being success via social ladder climbing and association. And I feel like Sonia is kind of a great example of that. That like we don't, at least for myself, I don't quite know what her strength is, but she tries to mingle her way to success, like by marrying or by kind of uh, being associated with the right names or the right brands. But at some point you have to kind of put in the work, right? And maybe that's what Sonia is missing a little bit. Like she wants to, but she doesn't know how, and she can only do it by emulating maybe Bethany's brand, Bethany's success, and then associating with that network or kind of adjacencies. But she doesn't really know what she's all about. And so I think that's what's difficult for her to grasp because I think she doesn't know what that is. And that is reality is to like know what you want. So she's just like, I don't know what that is. It's going to be really hard for me to figure that out. I'd rather just live in this fantasy land and watch mm-hmm. toaster oven and see where it goes. <laughs> and let's see if I can, let's see if I can like network my way into like being successful. And I think one thing that's interesting it, with Sonia, like she is dealing with financial troubles as we see, obviously at a scale of a very rich person, but she's trying, she thinks her salvation is in these businesses. She thinks the next business is really going to make it for her and she's also and she's clinging to that in this desperate way that's interesting to watch and you have compassion for her and she clings to the morgan name in the same way as we see in i think it's later seasons the she is so desperate to cling to that identity i don't think the morgan family is particularly keen to have her on involved in any way anymore i think that's pretty clear from the show but she has a scene she has a scene in a future episode where they go visit like a historic house of the morgan family and there's these letters and it's this like iconic quote now she's like you don't touch the morgan letters because someone touched them and it's just this like oh it's such a compelling story um and and she and she's just so desperate to make these things work but it's they're not gonna and yeah, I think like so Sonia's like origin story is like she <laughs> married into the like the very upper stratosphere like at the edge of of space and as like exited and is now in in a free fall. We mm-hmm. we're just seeing her operate in a free fall and you know sometimes when you're when you're in a free fall like if everything around you is falling as well you just kind of seem like you're just like floating <laughs> around in space and like anti-gravity. And that's really like what we're seeing with Sonia. I feel she's just kind of like floating through things 
um, but everything around her is falling at the same rate as her, like this townhouse that she's like trying to maintain. She doesn't even have the heat on in like some places. Just kind of like aloof and like just floating through through space. It it would be kind of interesting to watch the show via the lens of how many arguments end up actually being conflict resolution or how many people just walk away. Because in this particular argument, um, Bethany just chose to say like, I'm done with you. I don't want any of this anymore. I'm going to walk away. But being in New York, they have very limited space. So she just kind of walks towards like this corridor. <laughs> that's like not quite an office. Not like she didn't fully walk away. She's still very much in your sight line. She's like, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to walk over to this corner. And then like poor Sonia just has to go in and like try to get comfort by like the workers that were in the office. And she eventually just like exits via like an elevator and she has her head down. I'm like, I didn't think yeah. it was going to go this way. I'm like, Oh, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, we're getting to the end of things here. Did you guys have any final thoughts on this episode? I I really liked this episode. Like, I I would definitely continue watching uh, this whole series. I'm not sure how many seasons of New York there is, uh, but in general, I think it's like it's really well set up. Uh, there are a good amount of explosive characters that are kind of unpredictable. Um, so I really liked it. And I had a good time. Like, I had a really good time just, like, watching them go out and then just going to restaurants. Um, yeah, it was, a good, it was a good season. Totally. Yeah, and I, I highly recommend this... I highly recommend this uh, this season. It's got some excellent moments. There's another uh, couple episodes that take place at Dorinda's uh, Berkshire's house that are just truly iconic it's my favorite christmas uh special to watch i watch it every every year so uh we'll hopefully highlight that this this december i do have a question that like and sorry i I wonder if like and this must exist is there like a super housewives where they bring in like this kind of like marvel universe of housewives and they like throw them all together somewhere exotic and do a thing there must be right yes okay yeah it's a real housewives ultimate girls trip is kind of the all-star game of of housewives okay and worth worth checking out if you like don't follow the show because uh especially on this most recent season i think if you're interested in sort of the strategic element of like the actual like social game of it all yeah um i think that that is where it is the most visible and kind of see that's where you can kind of see because they are constrained within time. They just, they play it as, as a game and they're like manipulating the social situations in in that way. So um, I would recommend if that's like one of the, I think there's a lot of elements that could draw someone into real housewives. If strategy and that social game of it is what is compelling to you, then that is a great place to, to look for it. I was just going to say, <laughs> I, one of the things I really liked, just to just to finish off, we saw a nice bit of Dorinda at the end of this episode. Dorinda, Billy, took a yeah. dark turn uh, a few seasons later. She became very, very nasty, and she was fired for that. Oh, no. Or, for, or at the same time as that. Um, and Like nasty was, on the show? Yeah, she was just attacking, especially this one character, uh, Tinsley, and... It just it just became like a not fun level of nasty. Like we 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 can take some nasty on this show, yeah. but it became a bit much, yeah. and she needed a timeout. So right. I I love her as a character, but we saw here just it was nice to see the the old Dorinda when she was like she's strong, she doesn't take any shit, she will get in your face and yell at you, 
but it was like in a, within a reasonable context, like within that fight. So I just felt it was really nice to see the old Dorinda. I think she even said I made it nice. Uh, oh. her, one of her iconic quotes uh, to, to <laughs> Ramona. She screamed at her on the street. So that was really heartwarming. And you picked a great episode, Craig. It really hit a lot of the iconic stuff I love about New York. It's my, as I said, it's my favorite. It did, it did need a reboot, but these characters, these core, the, the OGs of this show are absolutely amazing and will always like retain that status. So it's nice to watch these old ones. And I think I will also watch the next one that's queuing up for me. <laughs> So does reboot mean the characters come back on or is it a whole new cast? They've got a whole new cast that's oh, coming on. Oh, got it, so, got it, okay. Um, there is apparently like an ultimate girls trip that is focused on the legacy New, uh, new York characters. Right. But, um, you know, if you watch the most recent season of New York, it was time. Like it was definitely time to change things up and sure. needed to happen. And I think that the the cast, just from what I have seen, you know, on their Instagrams and the previews that we've got, uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Like, I, I'm really excited to get to know this cast and see what they bring to the table because I think it seems like there's some really interesting uh, personalities on this cast. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Billy, uh, do you want to let everyone know where they can find you? Uh, I only have a personal account that's public. Uh, it's uh, Billy K. Chung at, uh, sorry, it's just Billy K. Chung on Instagram. So B-I-L-L-I-K-C-H-U-N-G and that's where I am. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. And Sandy, do you want to let everyone know where they can find you? Sure. Uh, if you're interested in uh, weird art and local museums, you can find me at Corporeal Curios, C-O-R-P-O-R-E-A-L-C-U-R-I-O-S. Even I can barely spell it uh, on Instagram. <laughs> but find her. <laughs> <laughs> or look, search my name. <laughs> awesome. Thank, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. That's been Bravo Outsider for this week. You can find us online at bravooutsider.com. We're on YouTube. Uh, look us up on Instagram or threads at Bravo Outsider. We're on Twitter as well at Bravo underscore Outsider. Um, and uh, give us a rate and listen and subscribe anywhere you find podcasts. Until next week, keep on wiping.